Hello, I'm Georgios, and welcome to the first of November's episodes of Cube Voices. This month, we will be focusing on men's health, in line with National Men's Health Month, and raising awareness about the range of health issues facing men in Northern Ireland. We'll be providing links for support under this episode, and we will be covering the topic of mental health. I want to raise a trigger warning for discussions of suicide. Although these are handled very sensitively, if you are affected by any issues raised in this episode, please reach out for support. I'll be talking to Professor Joe O'Sullivan, Professor of Radiation Oncology at Queen's, and learning about his work with the Northern Ireland Cancer Centre and the Movember Centre for Excellence in Prostate Cancer. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer among men in the UK, with one in nine men affected. During the month of November, you'll hear about the Movember campaign and cancer-focused NI's Tash for Cash campaign, both of which aim to raise awareness and vital funds to support men's health. Another major issue here is, of course, the current mental health crisis, with four times more men than women unfortunately taking their own lives in Northern Ireland in the last five years. I'll be speaking to Katie McCleary, the student welfare officer, to find out what the SU is doing to support student mental health at the university. Professor, thanks for joining us today. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you. Can you start by explaining who you are and what your role is at Queen's and what your research looks like? Sure. I'm Joe O'Sullivan. I'm a consultant clinical oncologist and I'm professor of radiation oncology here at Queen's University. I've been here for almost 17 years. So my role is as a clinical academic. I conduct research into prostate cancer, translational research and clinical research. So I look after a bunch of patients with prostate cancer and try and get as many of them as possible into clinical trials, some of which are developed by ourselves here in Belfast, some which are collaborations with others around the world. So we have a lot of patients uh, going into clinical trials here in, in Belfast in prostate cancer, and we're very proud of our unit, which is called the Fastman Centre of Excellence, which has been, we, we've had this grant for the last seven years or so. That's amazing to hear. Yeah. Why is prostate cancer particularly significant? Can can you provide some statistics about uh, its prevalence? Yeah, so prostate cancer is the number one most commonly diagnosed cancer in most of Europe now, for men and women. Um, Obviously, it only affects men. In the UK, almost 50,000 cases per year are diagnosed. Around about 11,000 men die every year from prostate cancer in the UK. In Northern Ireland, obviously, scaled down from there, around about 1,200 patients get diagnosed every year, and around about 250 will die every year from prostate cancer. So it's a huge social, economic, and health issue. Uh, It affects men in the later years of their life, um, but because men uh, are living much longer now, it's much more likely that they get diagnosed with prostate cancer. That's very interesting. I didn't know. Yeah. What are the symptoms of prostate cancer? For most of the men we see have little or no symptoms at all. And many men who get diagnosed with prostate cancer these days will have minimal symptoms. And often it's the result of a blood test called PSA, 
which is often done by GPs as part of regular health checks. But if they do get symptoms, they tend to be symptoms of the urinary tract, urinary system, most commonly needing to pass urine more frequently than they're used to or needing to get out of bed at night to pee more often. And most men, as they get older, especially once they get over 50, will find that they maybe need to get out of bed to pee during the night. But if it's happening more than twice on a regular basis, they should get checked out. Other symptoms are that the flow of urine is becoming less strong. So when, when men are younger, they can usually hit the wall no problem or pee over a gate. Uh, as men get older, oftentimes the, the power in the hose gets a little bit less. But if that starts becoming problematic, where it's taking men a long time to finish taking a pee, that can be a sign that the prostate gland is becoming enlarged. Then if men present with more serious symptoms of prostate cancer, it might be actually blockage of their urine, so not being able to pee at all and needing an emergency catheter fit or something like that. Blood in the urine can be another sign. And also problems with erections because the prostate gland is very much involved as a sexual organ, basically. And when it malfunctions, it can lead to erectile dysfunction as well. Okay, that's a lot to take in. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so you, you already mentioned some of the symptoms. How can men check? Uh, yeah, well, there, there is no routine way to advise that, but generally advise men from age 60 onwards to have an annual PSA blood test with their GP. They should see their GP annually anyway to make sure that their cholesterol is okay, check their blood pressure, and I would include PSA as part of an annual health assessment. It's different for men who have a strong family history of prostate cancer, particularly a history of prostate cancer in younger years, ages 50 and 60, if they have a father, brother, uncle who've got a prostate cancer early in their life, especially if they died from it. Those men probably need to get their PSA checked from age 50 onwards because there is some familial link in a minority of prostate cancers. But I just generally advise men to get, get the PSA checked. And also, if they're getting symptoms like I described, needing to get up at night more than twice, um, finding it difficult to pass urine, or finding that their urine is leaking in some way, they should certainly see their GP for a chat. We'll put some information or links uh, yeah, great. down yeah. below. Yeah. How serious is the diagnosis of prostate cancer? What is the recovery rate? Can you improve your prognosis? Well, it's a, a very interesting disease in that it, it is a very wide spectrum of experiences with prostate cancer. A, a significant proportion of men diagnosed with prostate cancer probably don't need treatment at all and can live a perfectly normal life without treatment. That's about one third of the cases diagnosed in the UK at the moment. And this is because the type of biology of their tumours is very, very low risk and very unlikely to spread. And for those men, we largely do a a, a protocol called active surveillance, where we monitor them carefully with blood tests and MRI scans. And most of those men with very low grade prostate cancer don't need treatment at all. For men in the middle ground, there's men who have diagnosed with curable but potentially lethal prostate cancer. For those men, chances of survival has dramatically improved in the last 10, 15 years, especially with better radiotherapy, better surgery and better hormonal therapies. And even for men then, about one third of men in the UK present with very advanced prostate cancer, which has already spread maybe to their bones or to some other organ. Those men used to live maybe two years at best. Now with new improvements uh, based on really, really good research findings, those men are living many, many more years and are living well as well. So I think the situation has improved dramatically for men with prostate cancer. Some don't need treatment at all. But for those who do, treatments have dramatically improved in terms of survival and quality of life in the last 10 years or so. That's amazing to hear. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really, it's really, it's, it's one of the most dramatic improvements in any cancer in the last 10 years, I would say. Oh, really? Yeah. What research has taken place to improve treatments for this type of cancer? Well, there's huge amounts of research taking place on prostate cancer. When I started first, maybe 20 years ago, it was definitely the Cinderella cancer. It really wasn't getting grant funding. There were very few opportunities to fund prostate cancer research. All has changed now. Um, it's because, I guess, the incidence has increased so much. And there's a lot of great research happening here in Belfast in Queens as part of our Fastman Centre of Excellence. This is a collaboration with colleagues in the University of Manchester and the Christie Hospital. And we're particularly interested in, in the role of ionising radiation. That's radiotherapy, brachytherapy and radium therapy for men with very advanced prostate cancer. And we've been really at the forefront of research in using ionising radiation and really optimising the role of radiation in prostate cancer. And we have research trials happening here in Belfast looking at men with high-risk localised prostate cancer using stereotactic radiotherapy to treat the cancer. This is led by my colleague, Professor Sunil Jain, here in Belfast. I've led a programme of research looking at men with the worst kind of prostate cancer, which is already spread to the bones at the time of diagnosis. And we've led research called the ADRAD trial, which is trying to improve survival for these men with the worst kind of prostate cancer. But many of the improvements that have happened in prostate cancer have been as a result of collaborative research. And probably the best example of that is a trial called the Stampede trial, which is a UK-based trial. We've been very heavily involved for the last 15 years in that trial. And that really has led to some of the most practice-changing developments in prostate cancer in the last 10 years. We've been very proud to be a, a, par a partner in that trial. Do you want to talk more about it? Yeah, so the Stampede trial has been a fantastic trial. It's, the, it's, a, it's a trial which tests multiple different types of therapies and drugs in men presenting with really lethal variety of prostate cancer. So the type of prostate cancer that's likely to result in death. And various different results from this trial, including the use of a chemotherapy drug called docetaxel, a drug called abiraterone, radiotherapy to the prostate in men with advanced prostate cancer, have led to many, many years being added to the survival of men with very advanced prostate cancer. It's really been transformative. And it really has been, it has really, for us in Belfast, it's been our key way of looking after men, presenting with the worst type of prostate cancer has been to get them into this type of trial. It has directly led to our own ADRAD trial being developed, and we hope that the ADRAD trial formula will become part of the Stampede trial over the next year or two. That's great. Yeah. How important do you think campaigns like Movember and Cash for Cash are raising awareness about male cancers? Well, Movember has been transformative, actually, and their campaign, which has been going on now about 12 years, which initially started in Australia, men growing moustaches or mows, as they're called there, and First of all, to raise money for, for male cancers, especially prostate cancer. But over, over time, it really has become a fantastic organization, really clued in on how to get publicity out there on every type of platform imaginable, considering that some of the age group are very elderly, right through to younger men. And I think it's been transformative. It's made it cool and made it acceptable to talk about male health generally, both physical and mental health. And the campaign itself, I think we probably have reached peak moustache some years ago and probably the real money uh, money or the fundraising aspect of the Movember charity maybe has settled down a little bit has peaked but the information um, uh, distribution that they do is quite incredible and I think I've got men talking about health they're moving now much more into mental health as well yeah. which I think for dealing with physical health is very important anyway in, 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 male, in male health 
the, the health, or sorry, the mental health aspects of physical health are very important in men, but we know that suicide and mental health generally is something that men are really, really bad at, about talking about. And I think especially as we're going through this pandemic, where all of our mental health have been challenged, I would say, I think Movember have been centred to that, and I think they will be very strong going forward looking at that mental health aspect as well. Yeah, it's a very common topic these days to talk about mental health and yeah. kind of where raise more awareness about it. I think men have been have been very bad at about talking about their genital urinary health and also their mental health. They've been sort of taboo subjects. So talking about their urine function, their sexual function has been taboo for many in many cultures. That's definitely changing. So mental health is the next taboo we need to get over. We need to be able to talk about our feelings and you know get in touch with our emotions, and and you know be able to say I'm not okay. And also to ask people, are they okay? And not assume that everybody is the same as they always have been. And especially dealing with this current situation, this pandemic, it has affected the way we work, the way we learn. So I think we really have to be able to ask each other, are we okay? And be able to talk about how we're feeling. And I think campaigns like Movember have opened the door to that kind of conversation. We see it in our clinical. I see it in my clinic every day. When you, give, when you open the conversation, people are much more likely to talk about this. And this is relevant to our friends, family and colleagues, as well as patients we might be looking after. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. What advice would you give to any young men, students who may feel that these issues don't affect them? Well, I think prostate cancer is certainly a disease of older men. So younger students are not going to be affected themselves directly by prostate cancer. However, they can be an advocate for their older relatives. And especially if they hear, you know, dads or uncles or older relatives talking about urinary problems or getting up at night to pee more often, they should certainly be urging them to get their get, get a visit to their GP and maybe get their PSA checked. For themselves, if they have a family history of prostate cancer, especially serious prostate cancer at younger ages, they should be thinking about getting health checks, especially PSA from age 50 onwards. But I think they can be an advocate for the older generation of men in their family or in their social circle to make them aware that treatment for prostate cancer has hugely improved. And sometimes men are a little bit scared about going to their doctor with symptoms in case, oh, in case I get diagnosed with cancer and then I'm done for. In fact, the earlier you catch these cancers, the better. For younger men, probably the cancer that's most relevant to younger men, thankfully, is a rare one. It's testicular cancer, but it's a rare one. But catching it early makes a massive difference. So any abnormal lumps or bumps in the testicles, I think it's good to have an old check of the testicles every every month or so. Have a very deliberately set aside a day in the month where they check, examine any lumps or bumps that weren't there before. Well worth getting checked out. Again, the treatment and survival from testicular cancer is absolutely fantastic now, especially if it's caught early. So that's probably maybe more relevant. Testicular cancer maybe is more relevant to the age group listening to this podcast. But like I say, don't forget your older relatives when it comes to prostate cancer. I think it's just the stigma around cancer and we think yeah. of pain and death. Yes, so. exactly. And it's true. I mean, that is a stigma we encounter every day, especially in the older population that we look after. But believe me, it has changed dramatically. And even in my short career for the last 20 years, I've seen a total turnaround now. Men are much more likely to survive the cancer and also come out the other end in the same shape they were or more or less in the same shape they were as well. Because toxicity, we've really worked hard at reducing the side effects especially from radiotherapy. And most men now have little or no side effects from radiotherapy. It's really quite incredible with new technology. That's really great that 
I'm not used to the information here in the UK and about yeah. health. Yeah. Um, but it's great to hear that you've made a lot of progress in your last 20 years. It's been huge. And I think especially in the last 10 years with technological uh, developments in radiotherapy, we can much more accurately pinpoint the tumor and much more accurately avoid the normal tissues that we want to avoid, like the bowel and the bladder, etc. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us? Well, I think that, uh, first of all, I think that Queen's you know, should be very proud of the cancer research that's happening here, and especially the research in prostate cancer, where we actually are seen as a global center of excellence. So I think we're very proud of that. We're very grateful to the patients who take part in our clinical trials, and we hope that this research environment has led to better treatments. And I think it's one really good example of where the university, like Queen's, can have a really good impact on the local, on the, on the local economy, and especially the local health economy, particularly in terms of improving the health of our patients and making sure that they have access to the absolute state-of-the-art healthcare. And I really strongly believe that being research active here in Queen's has led to much, much improvement here in the care of cancer patients here in Northern Ireland. So we're very proud of that. I'm happy to hear this information and hopefully our listeners too will use this information to help themselves and their loved ones. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you for being here, Joe. Pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Make sure to check out our Twitter page to learn more about how you can get involved with the Movember and Tash for Cash campaigns. Now, the term health encompasses both the physical and the mental, and men's mental health is of particular importance in Northern Ireland. A 2019 report by NISRA found that people here experience 20 to 25% higher levels of mental health illness when compared to the rest of the UK, and around 1 in 5 adults are reported to have mental health conditions at any given time. There are significantly higher levels of depression than in the rest of the UK higher antidepressant prescription rates, and higher incidence of self-harm. Northern Ireland has the highest rate of suicide in the UK. These are all indicators of poor mental health. In men under 50, suicide is the leading cause of death in the UK. In 2018, the highest number of male deaths by suicide in Northern Ireland occurred in the 25 to 29 age group and 30 to 34 age group. There are an abundance of charities and support groups here in Northern Ireland trying to tackle this growing problem. And I've been speaking to Katie, your student welfare officer at the Students' Union, to see what they are doing to help. Hi, Katie. Thanks for joining me today. No problem. Good to be here. (laughs) Can you tell me a bit about you and your role in the Students' Union? Yeah, of course. Um, So I'm Katie Niclera and I'm the Student Officer for Welfare in Queen's Students' Union. Um, It's really my role to represent students within the university on on all issues relating to their welfare. So that primarily relates to things like accommodation, um, mental health is the biggest one that I'm really working on this year. And there's a lot of COVID-related stuff as well. Any COVID-related issue that's going to impact on student welfare, um, I'm working with with the team to, to represent students on that as well. In today's episode, we're focusing on men's health and mental health is a huge part of this. What is the Students' Union doing to support this issue? Yeah, so the Students' Union is doing such a wide range of things to support mental health for everybody and and for men also. Um, We run a a number of campaigns and we represent students on, on all things relating to mental health. Mental health is our strategic one of our strategic priorities for the next five years in the Students' Union and will continue after that to be our top priority. Everything we do, we relate it back to how it's going to impact on student mental health. So that 
comes into things like our Omni campaign. Um, we also are feeding into an institutional framework that the university is developing. Um, and we're really pushing the university to make sure that mental health and well-being is at the core of everything they do. Um, it's really important that we consider mental health in absolutely everything that happens within the university, whether that's lectures, um, tutorials, even how your accommodation works. Everything needs to be centred on how it impacts our mental health. So that's the work we're doing. Um, a lot of other things we do relate very closely to mental health. So, so things like our clubs and societies, our volunteering are creating communities, um, engaging students and ensuring that students aren't lonely and that they have ways um, to achieve fulfillment and, and to really develop their skills to help them find careers, which ultimately will make things better for student mental health now and in the future. That's really great to hear. <laughs> Thank you. We try, we do our best. <laughs> well, from my experience, I've seen like the SU do quite a lot for its, stu um, for its students. So, um, I don't know, it's just maybe my experience. I've been more involved in knowing more about information and things going around the school. So it's great to know what you're doing. Yeah. And it's always like, I can only really touch on a fraction of what we're doing, but we have, you know, we have our six um, student officers who are constantly doing work around this. We also have our staff team who work within the different departments of the student union who are also so focused on this. It really is so important um, that, that student men mental health is at the core of everything we do. And I think the last like, great thing to kind of add to it, it's not just about on-campus experience, it's also the off-campus, like you were mentioning, accommodation and just your day-to-day -day life. Absolutely. As a student. Absolutely. Like you're you're not just a student when you're in your class, you're in your you're a student everywhere you go, whether that's in your part-time job, whether that's when you're sitting with your family, you're still a student of the university. Um, and after you're a student, you're still a human being and everyone has mental health, as we all know. So it's really important that your time of university, you know, can really help you flourish as opposed to to damaging you. And, and that's something, unfortunately, that a lot of students find is they come out of university um, holding a lot of stress and holding a lot of issues that might have happened during that time. And that's something we really want to avoid. That's not how your university or student experience should be. At the moment, mental health issues may be more prevalent because of coronavirus. Has the SU taken any steps to combat this? Absolutely. So a lot of what we're doing at the moment, well, for the last number of weeks, obviously, there's been a lot in the media about, you know, students self-isolating, students working remotely, etc. So we're doing a lot of work at the moment, all virtually, to make sure we can engage those students. Um, so over Freshers, we ran a virtual Freshers. Um, all events were virtual to make them accessible for absolutely everybody across the university, whether you were able to be on campus in person or whether you were at home in another country. We wanted to make sure everybody could be included and could access those events. Some of those events are going to continue. So one of the events I ran, um, which you'll know about, is um, was speed friending with TE. So that was an opportunity for students to come on and have a chat with each other, get to know each other. And it was a really lovely space. Every event I ran, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so I'm continuing that now. It's now being rebranded as Wellbeing Virtual Cafe. So every Tuesday, there's going to be a couple of hours where I'm going to be on a call and absolutely any student can join in and have a chat and get to know other people just as, as one of the many ways to kind of tackle that loneliness issue. Um, students can be lonely at university at the best of times because there's so much going on. It's really hard to meet new people, but in a virtual environment, that is so much harder. And um, we're also constantly 
making students aware of the student wellbeing services that are available if students are really struggling with their mental health if they want you know to chat to a professional all those services are there it's making students aware of them and letting them know that we are here to help and we're always open to new ideas as well so if students think that there's something more we could be doing um on mental health or on anything else really um we're, we're always open to hear that i'll just say for all our listeners I did end up doing the virtual cafe. That's how I met Katie yeah. prior to this interview. But it's nice to meet in person, though, yeah, you know, exactly. instead of behind a screen. But if you're if you're out there and you want to just meet new people from the university or SU members, definitely go and do that. Yeah. So what can students do if they feel their mental health is suffering? Well, there are so many services there. And, and the first step is, and I know this might sound cliche, but the first step is reaching out. I think the difficulty is as students don't always know where to reach out to. Um, there are so many supports available. Sometimes it's hard to know which one. So definitely the first step would be to contact the wellbeing service. They have an email. Um, don't know it off the top of my head. But if you just Google QUB student wellbeing, you will find their services. Have a chat with them. They're all trained wellbeing advisors who can kind of see what the issues are and to see what they can help with. So even if you're struggling with your mental health short term um, because of like stress of academics or something, they'll be able to chat with you and to see what more we can do um, to support you in that. If you think you need longer term support, that can be put in place. And if there's any questions about anything like that, you can also contact me. Um, so my email is su.welfare at qb.ac.uk and I'll hopefully be able to signpost you in the right direction. And, and there is always that support there. So there's lots there for absolutely any student who needs it. We will also put that in the text box under this episode. Fantastic. My <laughs> inbox is always open. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so then can you explain what the Omni campaign is? Yes. So the Omni campaign um, began a couple of years ago. So it was before I was in this role. Um, Omni is really a mass student movement around mental health. Um, the discussions and the kind of dialogue around mental health for years has been around awareness and saying we need to be aware of mental health. But the problem is, you know, what's the point of awareness if we don't have structures and services in place to support people who are struggling with their mental health? So that's what the Omni campaign really tried to highlight and to raise with the university. So um, that campaign ran a survey, um, a really big survey. It was very successful. A lot of students engaged with that and, and came up with really what are the structural and cultural impacts of university life on your mental health? Um, and there were a lot of really surprising findings where a lot of students actually said academic pressures are, are the main thing that impact on their mental health, alongside financial pressures, alongside relationships, loneliness. And there are a whole bunch of recommendations that came out of that. So we used that tool um, to start lobbying the university. We went to the university with these facts and figures and said, look, here's the reality for our students today. This needs to be taken seriously. And to give them credit, the university is taking that on board. They have recognised, okay, we need significant, serious structural change here to support our students. So from that to date, there has been a, a large amount of funding then put into mental health services. There are additional staff members in the wellbeing team. There are additional staff members in the students' union um, to help support students. Um, there are also 
developing an institutional framework which is looking at every aspect of university life and how we can embed well-being and mental health into those structures. Um, unfortunately, I suppose there's been a bit of a pause on that because of the COVID stuff, but we as the Students' Union are pushing at this at every opportunity to ensure we get the ball rolling again and to make sure we are constantly, constantly looking at this. We're looking at the recommendations from the Omni report and looking for, at recommendations from other student reports um, to, say, to see what we need to change and what we need to do. Um, the Omni campaign um, was hugely successful in my eyes. It really did let people see that, that this is a bigger issue. It's not about awareness. It's not about hosting nice events for students to see what it means. It's about changing structures so that we are more preventative and less reactive. We can you know, prevent students from developing mental illnesses as opposed to just supporting them afterwards. But we need support on all levels. So you've mentioned a bit about like the key findings and the outcomes. Is there anything else you want to add or attach to that campaign? Um, I think one of the one of the findings from it um, was was loneliness, and I know I've touched on that already. Um, I think we often underestimate how how hard loneliness is and how difficult that is to both tackle and and to to understand how how that can have such a severe impact on both your physical and mental health. You know, studies have shown that that loneliness is as dangerous as smoking in some cases. Um, so I think a lot of the work that I'm doing with some of the officers this year is looking at that because we know in a COVID environment um, where students are more likely to be at home, whether they're in isolation, whether they're working remotely, there are less in-person social events for students to get involved in. We're looking at how we can be more innovative in what we do to engage students and make it really, really accessible for students. And actually some of the feedback we've gotten in, in some of our campaigns we've been running um, is that it is more accessible to have things online. If we have our project meetings online, if we have our, our committee meetings online, students can come in from anywhere and they don't feel that they need to be on campus, especially if they're commuting students, or as we now know, all the students in isolation, they can come on and, and get involved no matter where they are. So then how do you think we can move forward from this and combat the mental health crisis in Northern Ireland, particularly for young men? I think we need we need our governments and, and the executive to identify that this is such a massive issue. You know, we are in the middle of a pandemic, which is having a significant impact on mental health across the board for absolutely everybody. I think we need to identify the groups that are suffering more. And, and obviously men is a real group. You know, it's clear from statistics that there are higher suicide rates among men. We need to be looking at that and saying, what are the issues there? What is what is causing that? instead of trying to be reactive um, to that. I think we need significant funding in our health services, in, in GPs, in our mental health services specifically, so that people don't have to wait for services, waiting lists at the moment for any type of, of therapeutic service, for any type of health support, for psychiatric support are, are so long. And it takes a lot of energy and fighting almost to get the support you really need. We need that understanding from the executive. We need that understanding um, across the board that we need money here and we need people trained who can actually deal with these issues instead of, you know, creating this idea that we should just do mindfulness or yoga to cure mental health when, when that's not the reality. The reality is we need proper funded support services in place for anybody and everybody who needs them. What advice would you give to anyone struggling at the moment? I would say 
you know, just reach out. And there is a real, I, I know myself from my own personal experience, when you are struggling, it can seem like a really, really difficult thing to reach out. But the fact is, once you do, you can get the support you need. Um, and I know there's a real thing as well of, of thinking, oh, there's people who are in worse situations, but that's not the case. If you are struggling right now, get that help. So contact, if you're in the university, contact, you know, the support services, contact myself and I can help out um, or contact your GP also and just have a chat about what's going on for you. Um, and we can, there's always those supports there to help you. Perfect. Is there anything else that you want to mention on this interview? Um, I think I would just leave with the thing of be kind to yourself. Um, we're all very self-critical of ourselves in this day and age, and that comes from external pressures. Um, you know, that pressure to succeed is always there. That pressure to look is always there. And actually, a piece of advice I, I give a lot to friends and I try to give to myself is speak to yourself and, and use your, your inside voice to be kind to yourself instead of being self-critical. Um, if you think something negative about yourself, imagine saying that to a friend and imagine what that friend would say back to you. You know, your friend would say back to you, that's not true. Or, you know, they would say something a lot nicer. So think that way and, and don't blame yourself or judge yourself um, for feeling the way you do. Well, thank you for your time. It no was problem. Great information. Well, link everything up so everyone else can see and use the resources as well. Fantastic, thank you. We hope you have learned a bit more about men's health in Northern Ireland and that you will think about getting involved in making a change. If you or someone you know is struggling, please reach out for help. In the next episode, I'll be speaking to a PhD student at Queen's who is researching one of these issues relating to men's health. So make sure to tune in and find out more.